0: Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we continue in the series in the book of 1 Corinthians, a study of the first letter to Corinth. Today we're in chapter 10 and today's message comes with a warning. Paul does a throwback to the Old Testament with a reminder of the children of Israel picture of Christ in that exodus, but idolatry crept in, and well, I'll let Pastor Sean spell out the danger ahead. Life.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do today. It's a place to give at life.org. The message today is called Warning, Danger Ahead. In the series called One, Sean starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: How's everybody doing? You sound good. You sound like you're encouraged, are you? That's a good thing, because we're in this election season, and I liked when Ryan said that Jesus is still Lord forever. He doesn't have term limits. Isn't that awesome? No term limits for Jesus. The devil doesn't get to kind of, the devil doesn't get to lie about him and challenge him in four years. He's just Lord. Every single day is his. Scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it, no matter who wins the election, the day after, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. So we need to remember that, we need to be people who aren't like so devastated by the ups and downs of what happens in the world around us. We need to care, we need to pray, we need to be involved. I hope you, if you haven't voted, I, I voted, and unfortunately Jesus' name wasn't on the ballot. So I had to go with, <laughs> yeah, there. <they're, laughs> write him in, write Jesus in. But I encourage you to participate. I encourage you to prayerfully do that. A couple of weeks ago, I gave just some just some thoughts on kind of my approach. What kind of things I think about when there are no perfect choices. There just aren't. And so, if you want, you can go on the website and uh, you, you can get that. That was like maybe last week's message or week before. I'm not sure. But uh, just a, a few thoughts on that. Our podcast. A couple of weeks ago, we literally took the whole time and just talked about some of those things. So I encourage you to check that out. We are in the middle of this series. We're taking just one chapter a week and just taking a message out of one of the chapters in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, First Corinthians. And we titled entitled the series, One, because there is one gospel. And this church was kind of always getting caught up in divisions, kind of like the church does way too often there's one gospel one church one spirit one mission there's not like we have all these different denominations they don't each have a different gospel a different spirit a different mission a different even a different church we are one and that's how we need to understand that that's how God designed it and I'm not saying denominations are bad I I think they they have their purpose in reaching certain people groups and in what they did at certain time periods and that's okay as long as we recognize our denominations are things we made up right we followed the lord's leading we made up the names we built the buildings they're not the gospel this this property here it's great lord thank you for it this is this property is a wonderful resource if uh, our sign up front says river city community church we probably should say river city community church meets here because we are the church right this property is a wonderful tool thank you lord and we're seeing all kinds of opportunities to serve and minister to our community that's great but it's not the church we are, the people who are filled with God's spirit, the people who are ministering in our communities. We are the church. And so we have one gospel, one church, one spirit, and one mission. That's what we've been talking about. And the thing is, Paul keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. If you don't, haven't caught this, I'll just kind of cut to the chase for you. But one thing is Jesus. That's the one thing. God the Father redeeming mankind through Jesus, his son, who made it possible for us to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the one thing. And we need to know that. We need to be aware of that. We need to walk in that. All this other stuff, and I'm not saying nothing else is important. It's just that that's the bottom line. And if we keep the bottom line as the bottom line, then everything else is simpler. And that's the problem. The church of Corinth didn't, and I'm afraid far too often we don't. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, we are going to get today a warning, and an example that was given for us as a warning. The title of the message is Warning, Danger Ahead. And when you see a sign like that, you kind of slow down, you kind got of to pay attention. I hope that as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to slow down, pay attention, and go and do a little heart work this morning. That's what we're going to do. Let me pray for us before we get started. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we'd hear your heart. I pray that your word would come alive to us, not just in our understanding, and in our intellect, but in our spirit, so that we wouldn't be able to help but following in obedience, hearing your voice and doing what you say. Speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's we'll start right at the beginning, beginning at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He's talking about the people who came out of Egypt in the Exodus. You'll you'll find these stories in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, all the things that we're going to point out in this passage. But what's fascinating is he makes a point, right? He keeps saying the word all. And in the, in the original, every translation says the same thing. They were all under the cloud, the cloud that led them by day, pillar fire by night. They followed the leadership. They all passed through the sea. They all watched the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, something that only God could do. They all saw it. They all lived it. They all walked through it. They were all baptized into the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, miraculous provision from heaven. And they drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Remember, he brought water, living water from a rock. And and that's when he says, that rock was Christ. They all experienced it. The guidance, the protection, the provision that God brought them miraculously they all saw it, the whole group of people the whole nation of them who came out of egypt and what he says it's interesting is that rock was christ and what he means is and what he's doing right now is he's taking that we know we know Jesus Christ had not yet been manifest as Jesus Christ we understand he was with god from the beginning that all things were made by and through him and nothing was made without him we understand that but he what he's trying to do is say wait a minute They received the guidance, protection, and provision of Christ, God's deliverance, just like you have. And so what he's doing is he's he's preventing there from being any kind of finger wagging. Yeah, those people were bad. Shaking their heads. Mm. He's saying, no, no, no. You also, I also, we've received that. You've had this too. And then verse 5, nevertheless, all had this, but God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. We know exactly what happened. This whole generation of people, except for Joshua and Caleb, absolutely refused to go in the promised land because of the things we're about to read. It reminds me of when Jesus said, yeah, the way to life is narrow and few find it. The road to destruction is broad and many go that way. The way to life is a narrow gate and few find it. God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. That's the bottom line. That's the point. That's why we're bringing it up. That's why these things happen. They occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he gives specifics. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, got up to indulge in revel- revelry. That's Exodus 32. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one, in one day, 23,000 of them died. Numbers 25. We should not test Christ as some of them. Some translations say, test the Lord. But others actually specify Christ. In other words, this provision of God. He keeps bringing them into these stories so the listeners would recognize themselves in the images of these people. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do you Remember the judgment of snakes going in and people were killed and the only way they could be delivered is by looking on the bronze snake, which was a forerunner, an image of what Christ would do for us. And verse 10, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Those two were the snakes, Numbers 21, Numbers 16, the grumbling. See, these things happened to them as an example and were written down as a warning, as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. That's just wise. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And then this verse that we heard quite a bit. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. His whole point in this thing is they all saw the same work of God, and yet most of them missed it. Most of them missed it. What was the difference? And he's remember, this is a warning to us. Lest we all see and experience the good things of God, we experience his blessings, we experience the life that he gives, and yet somehow we miss it. How did that happen? Remember verse 6, such a key verse. Keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. The problem is they set their heart on things evil. That weren't of God. They set their hearts on something other than him. Four specific things were listed, remember? Idolatry. It says they, they sat down to eat, or they got up to eat, drink, and to play. The idol of pleasure. The idol of pleasure. It wasn't just about graven images. It was about the fact that they said, God, we're going to do what we want to do. We don't care what you've said. We're going to have another idol. An idol simply whatever is first in your heart. And most idolatry, when you bring it back around, what it is is self-worship. That's what we're talking about. They got involved in idolatry, sexual immorality. Paul had talked about that a few chapters ago. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Sexual immorality. Regardless of what God said, regardless of how God designed them, they chose to do their own thing with their own bodies, in spite of what the designer and the creator said they should do.
0: And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Warning, Danger Ahead. It's in a series on unity called One, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, this series, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azar. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: Third thing he says is tempting Christ. And what I really think we're talking about is the sin of presumption. The sin of presumption. I'll take it from here, God. I got it. Ever found yourself on a direction from God and he's led you to do something or you feel like there's something you're supposed to do and you're like, you kind of get going down the road and you're making decision after decision after decision you realize, I haven't checked in, in with God for like a, a month or a year. But I, I'm sure it's fine. We're in danger of the sin of presumption. And then the fourth thing, he said the word grumbling, but what really he's referring to is rebellion. Grumbling. Rebellion. A lack of submission and thankfulness. And we know God took that really seriously. This idea of just grumbling against him all the time. Remember these people who'd seen the miracles, they all experienced it. And yet there was this grumbling, oh God, at least back in Egypt we had meat. Oh God, at least we knew what to expect. This is just hard. And the complaining and the grumbling, and there was judgment that came. And the question is, what do all these things have in common? And remember verse 6, because it's the point of the whole deal. A heart intent on evil. See, what this all reveals, and what Paul's trying to communicate here, is a heart out of alignment creates problems. A heart out of alignment, even when the externals are fine, if the heart is out of alignment, it creates problems. I love Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart. Another translation says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. See, it's all about the heart, that central place in who we are. And so this morning, the main point that I want to leave you with and give to you to kinda, as, as we walk through this talk is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. The offering that pleases God most fully is a fully surrendered heart. The offering that pleases God most is a fully surrendered heart. Just stop and think about that. A fully surrendered heart. Remember after David sinned with Bathsheba, horrible sin, and God called him to repentance, and he did. In Psalm 51, he said, 16 and seventy he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering." The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. See, what, what David's saying is it's all about the heart. And he, in a few moments, we're going to remember this is how his whole operation, this is how everything that God used him for started. But we just need to understand the sacrifices of God are different. He says, not delight in sacrifice He's not pleased with burnt offerings. See, our sacrifice, our service, and our gifts don't mean a whole lot if our hearts are out of alignment. We all know I can serve, sacrifice, and give for all the wrong reasons, can't I? I can serve to be noticed. I can sacrifice to be thought of as a sacrificial person. I can give so people can see. I can have split motives if I serve, if I sacrifice, if I give, but my heart is out of alignment, it doesn't mean anything. I'm still headed down a dangerous trail, and Paul is trying to hold up a warning sign This is beware. You remember when David was selected, the prophet Samuel goes to his house, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be king, and they bring the first, Eliab, and he's tall, he's good looking, he's a warrior, and he's like, dude, this is the man, and 1 Samuel sixteen seven. but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel had to keep going, you know, until it's like, are there any more sons? Well, there's the kid, David. But I mean, he's, he's a kid. He's out in the shepherd field. I'm not leaving until I see him. David comes in. He's sweaty. His face is red. He's just running from taking care of his dad's sheep. And Samuel sees him, and immediately the Lord says, that's the one. The one who came to be known as a man after God's own heart. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In Matthew 15, 17, and 18, Jesus was talking about, with the Pharisees and with his disciples, about they hadn't washed their hands ceremonially, ceremonially. And so they were defiled. And Jesus said, wait a minute, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth, from the heart, these defile them. And he goes and says things like murderous thoughts, lust, strife, and envy. Those are the things that come from within, out of the heart. Those are the things that defile. See The Greek word for heart that's used over and over again is cardia. It's really meaning the center of a person's affections, their will and their desires, that heart. We're not talking about the organ pumping blood. We're talking about that center place of a person's affections, their will and their desires. Scripture sometimes overlaps with the idea of the soul, the very heart of the matter, heart and soul. And it's fascinating when you start thinking about this, a person professes themselves as a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a disciple. And I'm living the faith. But they're intrinsically a mean person. And we've all experienced this, right? This is not like that we've never seen anything like this. It's, something's out of alignment. The words and the heart are out of alignment because when you're a follower of Jesus and you've been forgiven by grace, I'm not saying that you never get upset or mad. I'm saying, but a person who is mean, who likes to see other people hurt, I, I go, something's out of alignment. Something's wrong. And it's a problem with the heart. Or if someone's a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, I'm following Jesus, but they're an inherently arrogant person always putting other people down, always exalting themselves. And there's this arrogance about them. You go, something's out of alignment. The words, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I can do all the religious rituals. I can be in church, never miss. I can do my devotions every single day. But if there's a meanness or an arrogance or something, that's an area where there's a problem in the heart. That's what Paul's warning against. He's warning against the issues of the heart. Because that's the central place. The offering that pleases God most is a fully surrendered heart. How are you doing when it comes to the heart? That's what Paul wants us to meditate on this morning. That's what I want us to think about a little bit. Now, a few points about a surrendered heart. Number one, a surrendered heart belongs completely to Him, a surrendered heart belongs completely to Him, to the Lord. Remember the most important commandment Jesus is asked about in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. The most important one answered answer Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A surrendered heart is a heart that says, God, I am yours. I am yours. Our salvation begins with the heart. Romans 10:10 10, 10 says, "For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved." See, I can intellectually and I think we need to be careful we don't get this get these out of order. I can intellectually look and understand, "Yes, I'm a sinner." There no doubt. I can show you evidence. I can intellectually think that I can intellectually go, "Man, I need a savior." And boy, it makes sense that a righteous God, I can understand the theology, a righteous God would need to deal with this sin. And in his amazing love, he sent Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for my sin because he was sinless. And so I can find redemption in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what I can do. And that's a wonderful thing, but if it doesn't make, and a pastor friend of mine used to make the say, if it doesn't make the 18-inch journey from your head, your brain, down to your heart. Because, see, there's a difference in being able to state the theology and going, yes, I understand that. That makes sense. And going, oh, my gosh, God, thank you. I, I so desperately need a Savior. God, my way has been hurting me and others. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is that broken heart over my own sin." See, that's when I know it's, that, it's moved from my head, the understanding of Jesus as Savior, to my heart where it's like he's my Savior. He's my Savior. And then I can confess with my mouth my belief and be saved. But it starts in this understanding of the heart. And if we try to bypass the heart, something is wrong. See, a surrendered heart is a heart that is completely his. That's why we use the phrase, you know, when people talk about give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. That's, this, is the, this is what they're referring to. And the fact is, you know, one of the things in the book of Revelation, the the church, oh, my mind just went blank. I hate when this happens. Can we edit this out? part out? Which is the church, which is the church lost their first love? Ephesus? Who's the church? No, no, not La- Laodicea? They're the ones who lost their first love? I'm not sure if I, we're right on that. Anyway, the church who lost their first love. They would lost their first love. And, and the point is, that he says, they were still doing, they were still doing the right kind of things. They were, they, it wasn't like they were bad, it's just they had left their first love. And that's the part that scares me. That's the part I look at and I, I sit and I go, oh my gosh, God, how am I doing with my first love when I first discovered Jesus had given his life for me? When I first understood that, I got saved as a kid. I got saved when I was eight years old. And then what's interesting is I believed, I understood. I was a youth pastor ministering in Southern California and God brought the weight of my sin. I, I wasn't living in sin. I was living faithful to my calling and my commitment. But as a child, I don't know if I even understood the weight. Somehow the weight of what I had been saved from hit me. And that simple thing changed my life in ministry. And it had been going great up to that point. But the weight of my sin, understanding, and there was something new in alive. lives like, God, thank you. And see, I felt almost anew, a first love, a fresh. I don't want to lose that. See, a surrendered heart is a heart that is completely
0: his. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series called One, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our contact us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue